you have your job description, you know what your responsibilities are. But if you see something that could be improved and you think you could take it on, take it on. You're not stepping on toes, right? You're creating solutions for problems that you're facing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees. I'm also the CEO of Student Housing Insight. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, Student Housing Insight isn't just a podcast. We are a platform and a community for student housing professionals looking to network, help each other out, and above all, make student housing better. And joining me today is our wonderful co-host, Greta Dare. Woo. Such a mouthful right at the beginning. That was impressive. I, you know, I felt like there was a lot of folks that came up to me recently at the Interface Conference who were kind of asking, well, what else is Student Housing Insight besides <laughs> podcasts? Well, haven't we done at this point? <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I think it's just, I, I, I think it's important to kind of stick that there in the front of it is, you know, this isn't just a podcast. It's a, no, it's a it. whole thing. So, yeah. Anyway. Well, hey, how are you doing? I am doing really, really great, actually. Lots of things happening. Very, very exceptionally busy, but that's a wonderful thing. How are you? A little bit of the same. You know, April, it's been a lot between interface at the beginning of the month and then roll into spring break and Easter and all the things. It's, I feel like I just cannot get ahead. I get to the end of the week and I'm like, yeah, I've got eight more hours worth of stuff I need to do. <laughs> yeah. See, I was so, so sad to miss Interface. It's so often it's so worth it, but this year I just couldn't. So to anybody that I missed, I missed you deeply, but yeah. had to stay dialed in. But I well, hear it was amazing and I love that. Well, and just, I guess to go ahead and let everybody know, I was going to save it for the outro, but one of the other things that the folks at Interface told me the day that I got there was that they've already locked in a date and a venue for LeaseCon. Woo, that is exciting news. That is exciting news because that's been one of the things I've said kind of over and over the past couple of years mm-hmm. is, guys, we got to have like six months prep for this. You so know, that people in order can to- absolutely get it built into their budgets, make plans and get exactly. people out there. Love exactly. that so much. So it will be back in Charlotte. And it will be in December, December 4th and 5th. I think Charlotte was a great venue. Weather could have been a little bit nicer in December, but because that's just sometimes you get in Charlotte, you get really great weather in December. And sometimes it's just like it was this past year, kind of foggy and it wasn't that not bad. Not all that though. fun. Yeah. Oh, no. I'm, yeah. And it was a great hotel. So it's not like we really had to go outside much anyway. Yeah. But so, yeah, that's going to be happening again. More details on that later. So stand by for that. But so make sure that's on your calendar, Greta. Absolutely. It's right here in hometown. How could I possibly miss it? And I wouldn't anyway. So I am excited about this specific podcast. It's another series in our profile of student housing executives. And not to throw shade on anybody else that I've interviewed. I've loved every single person I've interviewed. It's been fantastic. I mean, it sounds like but you're playing a little bit of favorites right now, but go off, I guess. I am. I'm exceptionally excited about this one because <laughs> this is, it's somebody that I have 
observed from afar um, because we've we've never worked together in the same organization. I don't think we've even been on opposite sides of like a transaction before. But that is the chief operating officer of Core Spaces, Chris Richards. I always feel like I want to add like cheering after you say the name. No, I completely agree with you. When I got to go back and listen to it, it was, I actually really loved listening to her talk. Honestly, she's a really entertaining speaker first off. So there was that as well. I loved it and really just profiling everything that she kind of is and believes in and just her entire journey was really, really incredible to listen to. So I'm with you on that one. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, I mean, she is one of the most down-to-earth folks. She's got a fantastic work ethic. She has no fear. And by that, I mean, yes, she will run into a burning building for someone, metaphorically speaking. But she will also, she has no problems admitting, hey, I don't know about a certain subject or, you know, you're in a conversation, there's something that she doesn't know about. She has no fear of saying, hey, I don't know anything about that. Can you please explain it to me? And I think that is that is an important trait for people to have. I see so many people that are just afraid to ask the question or admit that they don't know something. It's an incredibly valuable asset for a leader to have. Absolutely. And I think that one of the things that is really frustrating for a lot of people is when they feel like the person that they're reporting to or the person who is running their department or whatever that position may be is when they feel like a level of ego or pride will get in the way of them admitting when they don't know something or when they won't admit that they're wrong. And that level of humility is a show, a great show of strength. And I love that. And I feel like all of that very much comes through. Yeah. And I think that's very much why she's been such a prolific leader within our industry because, and we get, you know, we start talking about it in the, obviously in the interview, you guys will hear about it, but there's a lot of name dropping that goes on. And it's not name dropping of people she's worked for or clients she's had. It's name dropping of folks that reported to her and team members that she worked alongside that a lot of them are sitting in the C-suite of many of these great companies within student housing. And I think a lot of that is attributed to not only is she not afraid to ask questions, I think she very much instilled and the folks that worked with her, like, look, if you don't understand something, ask. No one shot away from answering it or trying to figure out what the answer was. So that goes a long ways as to why she she is who she is and, and how she you know approached her career. I think it's awesome. I love that. Constantly seeking knowledge. Well, hey, enough talking about that. Let's go ahead and cut to the interview. Yes, please. Well, Chris, welcome back to the Student Housing Insight Podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Thank you for having me, Wes. And and I do say welcome back because we did have you on a few years ago when we had a panel down at Interface talking about international student housing or student housing on an international basis. And at that time, you were with Graystar and they were starting to really open up things in, in Europe. And that was a fantastic conversation. But I've been trying to get you on since I know at least May or June of last year. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> as we started working together with Shop Talk, 
I started finding out a little bit more about your history and everything because I've I've followed you for the past 10 or 12 years of, of my career. And I was just so intrigued with what all you've done in your career. And I was like, I've got to get her on this profile series <laughs> for the podcast. So thanks so much for taking out some time because I know you are a very, very busy woman and I appreciate appreciate you taking the time out. Absolutely. Well, hey, let's just start with the way I do with everybody. I really just want to know that origin story. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? And how did all that end up intersecting with student housing? All right. Well, I grew up in a small town just south of Des Moines, Iowa called Knoxville. At the time, population about 8,000 people. Oh, wow. So like, like most Iowans, I'm either going to go to Iowa State or the University of Iowa. And I picked the University of Iowa. And a little shout out, right, to the basketball uh, tournament a couple weeks ago. Go, yeah. go, Hawkeye ladies. Super proud of them. Between my sophomore and junior year of Iowa, one of my roommates had moved to Memphis, Tennessee. And she said, why don't you come and hang out for the summer? And I said, sure. But I can't just sit around and do nothing. That one wouldn't be acceptable for anyone in my family. And number two, not for me. So I, super loyal, Wes. So I couldn't like get a job that I knew I was going to quit in a couple months. Like that didn't work for me personally. So I went, you'll find this fun. Moved to Memphis on a Thursday and got the Sunday paper on Sunday, flipped through the paper and found the temporary agency kind of help ads or whatever. And on Monday morning, started calling the temp agencies. And at three o'clock that day, I ended up with an interview for a company called Account Temps. And Tuesday morning, I started at an apartment community at that time managed by Trammell Crow Residential, wow. which was a prep. I feel like everybody kind of older worked at Trammell Crow at some point. At some point. <laughs> at some point. <laughs> at some point in their life. But I started answering the telephone. And when I got to the property that morning, this very cute groundskeeper brought me a cup of coffee. <laughs> so I started working there that week. And on the third day, everyone called in sick. And between myself and the maintenance manager, we ran the office and I leased an apartment. Fast forward a few weeks, I'm now dating the cute groundskeeper that brought me a cup of coffee. And they actually bought out my contract from account temps and asked me to come to work there permanently for Trammell Crow. That's kind of how I got into property management. Yeah. Fast forward on that cute groundskeeper, that's my husband. <laughs> and I think about it all the time. If they had sent me to FedEx or International Paper or anywhere else, I really don't know the trajectory of my life. I... I'm an elementary education major, right? I did finish that degree. So I was going to be a teacher, move back to Iowa at the end of the summer, all those things. So, you know, take a chance. You never know what the opportunity is going to bring for you. Yeah. So I spent 12 years with, we went public during that time. So it became Gables Residential. And my husband and I were both kind of moving up the chain. And so he got the opportunity before me to be promoted to a regional kind of maintenance manager at the time. Gotcha. And my next career move would have been to be a regional manager, but because we were married and nepotism, I couldn't advance. So we either yeah. had to relocate or I had to do something else. Yeah. So I go back to the newspaper. I'm looking at the Memphis Business Journal and there's an ad for a regional manager at some company called Allen & O'Hara. And I kind of go through the criteria and I'm like, I can do this job. And I remember I sent my resume at like 2 a.m. that Sunday night with this massive cover letter that said, I love the company I work with. I could stay here forever. However, I can't advance my career unless I take a chance. And so they took a chance on me. It gets even more interesting because I almost didn't take the job. 
I had one child at the time and I knew I wanted to have another and they didn't offer maternity leave or any kind of maternity benefits. Yeah. And I struggled for a week on whether or not we could survive, you know, we're kind of wow. young, whether we could survive with no pay for six or eight weeks or whatever, but ended up jumping in and taking the opportunity and uh, moving into student housing. So fast forward, became a public company in 2000, that was 2001, became a public company in 2005. And it's, it's very funny because you wouldn't think my elementary education degree would have made a difference in my career path in real estate. However, my first executive level job was the year we went public and I became the vice president of training and administration because with Sarbanes-Oxley, we needed to get all the protocols in place for policy and procedure, risk mitigators, et cetera, and we needed to train it. And I was good at that. And I had the background, right? So you could put me out there at a public company. I actually was a degreed kind of teacher trainer. Yeah. So that was all those things kind of pulled together, right? To give me this. I, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, I was a history major. I was planning on doing high school history and teaching that. And a part of that has always wow. stuck with me. Hey, really quick. I want to go back to the Alan O'Hara because there was this huge evolution with Alan O'Hara and what they started out in the 60s and the 70s with properties like Granville Towers and Chapel Hill. And that's where Bill Bayless and so many others came through. What did the portfolio look like at that time when you were a regional? Oh my gosh. When I got there, we had seven communities, seven student housing communities. Granville Towers was one of them, by the way, Um, and University Towers, which is another kind of like iconic building in the Raleigh market that Alan and O'Hara managed. But they call them student hotels when they first started kind of the development platform, right? Back in the the 60s, they were building hotels for Holiday Inn and Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance came to them and said, can you build hotels for students? Thus, kind of the platform was born. So they had done mostly residence halls called dorms at the time, high rises all over the country. They had kind of a standard footprint. It was like this eight story red brick high rise, built them all over the country. It's kind of fun too, Wes, because so I'm not, did you work at Allen and O'Hara? No, no, I never worked with them, but I've worked with people who came up through Allen O'Hara. Yeah, I mean, Miles Orth, who runs Campus Apartments, was an AO guy. And Tom Turbiana, who was the president of EDR and worked at ACC, came up through the Allen and O'Hara day. So a ton of kind of the legends, I think, in the industry started at A&O. But at that time, it was kind of, they were shifting. So we were shifting to student apartments brought in their first kind of capital partner, acquired four communities. So we had a total of seven and we actually had some fuel, right. To start growing the company because we went public. Right. So got to ask this question. Were there any folks that were site level managers reporting up to you that are now in executive positions? Oh my gosh. Throughout my career. Yeah. I mean, it's super fun. It's yes. Multiple camp CA ventures is yeah. run by one of those people yeah. in my family Campus Apartments or Campus Advantage, excuse me, is now run by kind of one of my people. It's been really, really fun to watch people that I got the opportunity to kind of touch, to kind of grow in advance. That's so cool. Well, so I think you brought us up to going public in that position as the trainer. What happened after that? We got a new CEO in 2010 and he kind of changed the whole world and in one day changed the operating platform with kind of the exit of three folks and elevated me to kind of lead the operations platform. And what a scary day. 
And that was Randy, I'm assuming? Randy Churchy, yeah. 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 He, he so, came from, I guess, ACC at that time? No, Randy had been at Great Wolf Lodge and okay. in the kind of hospitality industry. Gotcha. gotcha. Done senior living as well, but he'd never done students. So it was kind of a new real estate foray for him. But brilliant guy, great mentor, and made a ton of difference. Had also been involved in the public world, which we had not. And um, we didn't have the experience for that. We really needed it. So kind of changed my world. And eight years later, I was advanced to COO. And then eight years later, we were taken private by Graystar. My calling has always been the people. Like that's the most important thing to me in in the business. And so as the COO, I uh, stayed around for about 18 months to make sure that all of our people, 1,250 of them, kind of got nestled in their beds, Wes, like figured out their place kind of in the gray star world and had some stability in their future. EDR was a really special family, actually. And so it was very hard, right, to transition into a new culture. And so I stayed around and then decided it was time for some self-care and uh, spent 10 months doing self-care and then ended up back in the industry. And it'll be uh, two years and seven days with uh, Core Spaces. And we'd partnered with Core over the years when they were kind of a very young company mm-hmm. developing these amazing buildings with the best proximity to campus you could find. So I had a lot of respect for the team And then one of the folks I met at Blackstone, a gentleman named Dan Goldberg, had come over to kind of help run Core Spaces. And that was kind of my calling that it was the place. It was the place for me to be. So I got to back up there a little bit going into your 10-month vacation because I remember you announcing your retirement from Graystar. And about at the same time, we ran into March 2020 (laughs) with, with the pandemic. and. That was kind of the thing, you know, a couple months later, we're like, okay, Christine's like leading this whole thing with our pandemic response. Like, what is she going to do? And I think on one of those calls that eventually was, was asked and you said, Hey, I've got to see my team through this. As much as I want to forget the past three years, <laughs> let's roll back a little bit. And I'd like for you to kind of share the thing that I'm amazed with in that response, going back to what you were saying with so many folks like Miles and Matt Maxa and all these folks that have kind of come up through that Alan O'Hara EDR thing. You guys are like family and it's, it's funny going to conferences and seeing the way that you guys interact. And it seemed like a lot of that experience probably played into, you knew that you could just pick up a phone and say, Hey guys, what are you doing? Can you kind of Go back a little bit and tell us about those early days and uh, with, with the pandemic. Miles Orth and I have had a, a relationship for a very long time. We tend to think alike, we operate alike, and he's just an incredible person. So really enjoy having him in my life and the ability to just pick up the phone and say, hey, Miles, what are you doing about this? Or how do we work on this together? And so when the pandemic started, that was the network, right? It was phone calls, text messages, emails from the family, essentially, And I was a bit overwhelmed because I had no idea what to do. No one did. And you're trying to like feel like think and figure out what we're going to do with your own team members. And on top of that, trying to give advice. And so one day Miles was like, let's just get on a call. We just need to get everybody on a call because that way everybody can hear the same thing. So I want to say, Wes, the first call was, I don't know, 20 people, maybe we did it on a Tuesday and then we got back together on a Friday. And I remember the very first operator that got hit with an actual COVID case 
like the very first one. And we were all like brainstorming on how to handle it and to share ideas and figure out best practices. The greatest part of it for me was the relationships that evolved from that. There were operators that were so talented that I didn't know. Jim Cassidy is one that comes to mind. And I was just like, who is this lady? Like, she's so impressive. So that's kind of the evolution of it. It just was a couple weeks worth of, wow, so many people don't know what they're doing. We need to kind of pull everybody together. And that, that call ended up, oh my gosh, with over 200 plus people. And it was brokers. And we had a lot of support from NMHC who were really kind of helping, you know, guiding us on what the government was doing and what the resources were and, College House jumped in and really supported us. You know, Charlie Matthews supported us. And obviously U.S. <laughs> taking that like very elementary Zoom platform, right? From something that we just put together on the fly to kind of something real through the platform at Student Housing Insight. So kind yeah. of the evolution of it. And it's super fun because I'm seeing it again with the Mental Health Coalition. Mm-hmm. It was a ideation that came up. It was a call to action for the industry and you know, fast forward a year later and we're making a difference and, you know, starting an education program for our team members on dealing with mental health. And it's pretty cool to be a part of. I think we see it with the W Collective as well, which is something else, you know, I want to talk a little bit about. But in speaking of that, let's through that career that you laid out for us, you also became a mother and you're dealing with a lot of the same things that I see our our women colleagues dealing with all the time. and, And they're trying to figure out the next steps for them. I'm just kind of curious, what was kind of the the one thing is, you know, being a mother and coming up in this, you know, in this industry that was either a significant challenge or something that really stood out in your mind as being both a mother and working on this career at the same time? You know, lucky me, I had two different generations of children. So I had case studies in my home, right? I had a millennial and a Gen Z to watch grow up. So that, that actually was a huge positive. And it's, it's my last child is a, a sophomore in college. So I'm almost out of like the in-house knowledge, right? Of kind of what our students are doing and, and wanting. The challenge was really, there's not enough time in the day, Wes. Yeah. So you work all day and then I made it a priority that when I got home from the office, it was all about the kids, right? It's like dinner, homework, as much quality time as possible. And then when they went to bed at nine o'clock, I'm back at it. Yeah. So it's a lot of sacrifice, I think, like it all had to get done and I I want everything done. Like that's just kind of my nature. So I think a lot of self-sacrifice and very little sleep. The other real challenge was there's a lot of travel involved when you're in student housing because it's not like you have 12 properties in one market. Yeah. You know, just missing out on the big moments, frankly, and not not being confident, especially early in my career to say, no, my child is more important than this trip. I'm going to bow out. And so I think the biggest change as I got older in my career was being able to say, no, my children are more important. I'm going to be at the field day because yeah. it matters. And uh, it's I funny, think. I gave somebody this advice yesterday. I said, no one from Core Spaces is coming to visit you in the hospital when you're 80 years old. That's I promise. Strange. However, your children will if you do it right. So do it right. I did my best, right, to do it right. And I made a ton of mistakes along the way. We have to just can't be afraid of making the mistakes. That's for sure. That's right. So one thing I, I mentioned right before we came on and started recording, I wanted to ask you a question I didn't really prepare you for. And it was actually a question that you asked the panel for the W Collective last week at Interface, which was, 
who had the biggest impact on, on your life. I'm probably not wording that exactly right, but you first went to Lindsey Brown at Campus Advantage and she mentioned her stepdad and she kind of went through the whole thing of he was an entrepreneur and she was spending a lot of time in his home office and kind of really understanding. I think, you know, he really spoke a lot of things into her is the way that she kind of illustrated it. And you immediately got up and said, have you told him that? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And kind of gave a little bit of a story of once you have grown children, hearing something like that is pretty impactful. But yeah, I want to ask that question to you. Who's been one of the biggest influences or impact within your career? I'll go twofold. One is personal and one is professional, right? Like I have been super blessed with amazing parents that are in their 80s and still with us today in great health, which is pretty amazing. And both of them incredibly hard workers and same thing, separate table education, right? They talked about life to us, not hit us from it, essentially. Both of my parents, frankly, have been amazing role models. And I'm like I said, I'm super, super lucky. Professional, gosh, there's a lot. In my early career, one of my asset managers from Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance was really, really like instrumental in helping the light bulbs go off. I remember I was 23 years old. I was managing a property, which I'm 23 years old. I'm a community manager, right? Of a, at that time, it was probably a $20 million asset, which was a big deal. We raised rent significantly over a six-month period. This is conventional. And he called me one day and said, congratulations, you've raised the value of this asset $3 million. And I was like, okay, how? Like, (laughs) I don't know what that, I don't know what that means. And he went through the whole like calculation of NOI and how bringing all those dollars to the bottom line that increased the value. That was probably early on. That was one of the biggest like light bulbs. So it's funny, even now, that's like one of the first lessons I teach how you increase the value of the asset by doing this and this. It's not like you're just saving, you're not putting more money in the owner's pocket. You're actually putting more money in the owner's pocket for that $1 you saved in expenses, but you've created a value of, you know, $15 or whatever. But the other, the other person that really what I'm so lucky to have Donna Price in my life to be, you know, a female who started her own real estate company and has grown it to be as successful as she has. And then also to be such a great person. I mean, I can remember being a very, my very first kind of big student housing dinner at Interface. There were a hundred people at the dinner 95 of them were in Navy jackets and five women, essentially. And I was one and Donna was one. And it can be very, very intimidating. Sure. And um, she just kind of leaned into me, which I'm so grateful for. Like, I couldn't believe Donna Price was talking to me. But, you know, how, how lucky I was to have her kind of empathy for another female in this yeah. very blue coated group kind of take me in. And so obviously, you know, still talk today about things we're facing and, you know, how to overcome them. So I'm super, super lucky to have her in my life. Yeah. And it's, it's been so cool seeing, you know, even last week and certainly last year when the W Collective got started and seeing you and her moderating along with a couple of, of other industry leaders who are also women, but really kind of moderating that discussion with this next generation of, of women that are stepping into those executive positions now It's been really cool to watch and um, thanks for your mentorship. Several of those ladies on the W Collective have, I've seen them go from community assistant slash college student to where they are today and to see, you know, how much you guys are pouring into them. It's just been, you know, really great to 
to see. Oh, and their, their courage, Wes, is remarkable because it is incredibly intimidating to speak yeah. to a group that large. And, you know, I'm super proud of them because you got to put yourself out there and they've done it. And, yeah. they're, and yeah. they're personal about it, right? Their stories are really compelling and they hit home for a lot of people. So I'm super proud of that whole group. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, let's, let's talk about the future a little bit. What is it that you kind of see as some of the big challenges that is facing our industry? You know, it's hard. It's I've lost some confidence in my ability to predict the future um, <laughs> between the pandemic in 2020 and then this double digit rate growth that we're experiencing now. I, two things I never thought I'd see in my career really? I've seen. But I'll tell you, I think the biggest challenge for the operators in the space is that the operating model has essentially been the same for the last 30 years. Really, if you look at it, it hasn't really changed or evolved. And that's okay. We didn't have the tools, the technology, like that has gone through its own evolution. I think the challenge for the operators today is figuring out that it's okay to leverage technology. It's okay for all interactions to not be like in person. It's yeah. okay to start to automate, to relate to your customers. On a personal note, I'm a sucker for great commercials. And after the Super Bowl, I ended up purchasing the farmer's dog, dog food. <laughs> for my two labs. And it was super interesting. I've developed a relationship, obviously, with their chat bot. So as yeah. soon as I signed up, I get a text message that says, please save this number. And if you ever need us, reach out here. And so I did. Two days later, I needed something. I text. They responded immediately. And it's it's very personal, actually. Like they reference my dogs by name and yeah. they warn me not to touch the ice pack because it's really cold. So my own personal experience essentially with using AI or a chatbot has been lovely because if you called me like right now, Wes, I wouldn't answer, right? But you text me, I could manage our communication in my own time. Yeah. So I think it's opening up our minds for all of the things, right, that we could potentially change in the industry and then going for it. I mean, you look at a central lot, like there's been a lot of chatter around centralized platforms, which super funny to me because one of my first jobs at Trammell Crow was like, I did the collections for six properties from six to 9 PM because legally you couldn't call people after nine. Uh, so I'm in college and I just sit there calling people right to collect rent centralized by the way. <laughs> and then it goes away in 2005, we built a centralized revenue system. And then three years later, it kind of goes away and now it's 2023 and we're back. Yeah. What we didn't have in the past was the technology. So embracing that and really kind of giving it some power to change the way we operate, I think will be the biggest challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny that you mentioned that because I've started making purchasing decisions, you know, if it's like a subscription type of thing, if they actually have a chatbot on their website, because there's nothing more frustrating than going through that telephone tree, you know, when you call and try to get some answers on something. And so yeah. it's, and, and I feel like I'm the type of person that, you know, I want that Neiman Marcus type of interaction with someone, but it has definitely changed. It's not that I don't want that type of interaction. It's just that's the mode of which we want that interaction now. Yep. Um, so it's, it's amazing with that. So anything else with the future that? Really, I think it's just con like continuing to evolve with everything is like our demographics shifted right to where we're hundred percent Gen Z and they're different than the millennials and Gen Z that we used to serve. I guess from a challenge perspective, it's just, we have to continue to evolve to what our customers, what they need and want. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, I want to talk, you know, a little bit about our audience. I think you know them pretty well. It's mostly site level managers. And when I do these interviews for this profile series, I really look at this as an opportunity for you guys to kind of help that group of folks in our industry along and give them some advice. A lot of them, what I hear is, hey, Wes, I'm five years into being a property manager or a lot of times it's a leasing manager looking to decide if, if he or she wants to go into a property manager position or you know, should they try working for some type of regional marketing position. Just wanted to get any kind of advice or anything that you would suggest to those folks. I have a bunch of it, but I'll try to keep it concise. I think my first piece of advice is speak up. Good property managers know more about their property than anybody else does. So when you're on a call or going through a site visit, right, speak up. You're the one with the knowledge of what's actually going on. Don't be intimidated by the folks in the group, right? Speak up about what you know, because you should know more than they do about your property. I think the second piece of advice is that when you have a problem and you want to bring it to leadership, you also need to propose a solution. So it may not be the solution we pick, but the fact that what it shows to leadership is that you're thinking. And so bring a problem and bring a solution. Third, it's funny, you kind of referenced this earlier in the podcast, but it's like, we're all people. As a female, I'm a mom, a daughter, a wife, a COO, I'm all the things, but I'm also just a person. So get over the fear of talking to people, right? Like I, I am a person just like you. And so maybe I'm no busier than you are. Actually, you even said it, Wes. I'm like, I know you're busy. I'm like, yeah, aren't we all? Like, <laughs> we're all super busy. Community managers wear a hundred hats. They do. So they're the busiest people I know, frankly, but we're all people. So a- approach the people that you want to talk to. I mean, we talk a lot about mentorship, right? Yeah. If you want to be mentored by somebody, reach out to them and ask them. Yeah. They'll either say, I don't have time or how about, you know, tell me what your objective and goals are. And here's a great person I could connect you with. I did that last week at the conference. I introduced somebody I'd worked with, with Jen Cassidy and said, I think you guys should meet. And she said, yeah. send me a note. So my point is we're all just people. So don't, there's no fear in reaching out to the people that you want to get to know. That's also how you build your network, which can be really scary. Yeah. And final advice is kind of do more than ask. You have your job description, you know what your responsibilities are, but if you see something that could be improved and you think you could take it on, take it on. Yeah. You're not stepping on toes, right? You're creating solutions for problems that you're facing and bringing, like I said, bringing that proposed solution to leadership is the best way I know to advance your career. That is fantastic advice. Anything else? I will always say that in whatever position you're in, it's like bring the results. Yeah. Nobody can argue if your NOI is above expectations and your occupancy is where it needs to be as long as it's coupled with the appropriate rates. If you bring the results, nobody can argue with nobody can argue against the data, whether you're female yeah. or male or in any position. Bring yeah. the results. Yeah. Make it happen. Well, hey, I've I want to ask you a little bit about while we're talking about the future, you know, ask you a little bit about what's on the horizon, both for yourself as well as with CORE. I've really enjoyed getting to know a lot of folks at CORE over the past year between yourself and, and Laura, as well as, you know, Ben Molesky and recently met Casey or Cassie? Casey Burt? Yes. Yes. Just uh, such of an exciting group that you guys have over there. Give us a little bit of update on what's around the corner for you guys and, and for yourself personally. 
Well, I have to start with personal because it's like the most exciting thing in my life is that my oldest son is getting married in October. She's not my daughter-in-law yet, so I guess it's daughter in love. Um, but <laughs> I adore her. They're a perfect match. So that's like the most exciting thing I think about probably every day. So October 21st, I'm out. I'm uh, watching my oldest get married and probably shedding a few tears. Nice. On a professional level, what's really exciting and, and coming for us is the build to rent business. So in 2021, we started incubating kind of a build to rent development platform for build to rent, raise the equity, started the process. At the end of 2023, we're going to roll out our first homes. And then the platform just goes from there, right? Yeah. Like then it's an explosion, but it takes some time to get yourself off the ground, especially in the development world. Yeah. So what's kind of on the horizon and super fun is like getting to build this build to rent BTR management platform from scratch because it's the first for us. So yep. kind of taking your not my 12 years of conventional plus the knowledge of student housing and the operating fundamentals and then leveraging the technology to figure out mm -hmm. how to give our customers what they want and how to really make this go. So that's something new and fun. So building the BTR platform and of course, you know, watching my child get married. On the BTR thing, you know, obviously it's been a natural fit for the student housing developers, especially if they've got experience with cottages and that type of thing. Yep. Everybody seems to like that transition really well. Kind of wondering from an operations standpoint, would your preference be to pull student housing managers to manage a, a BTR community or any thoughts on that yet? What I really look for is like the characteristics in the people. Mm -hmm. Right. You can come from senior living and I can teach you to manage student housing if you have the right attitude. Yeah. Right. And the right like kind of ability to focus on the customer and their experience. So mm -hmm. doesn't really matter to me. Right. If yeah. you're, what, what industry? I mean, I'm a teacher, Wes. My background was elementary education. Right. It was it's all about the people. I think they're the most important. So just find the right people. I mean, you can look at results right across. I speak about this one particular manager often. Her name was Jan Florsheim. She was a community manager at a property for me in Orlando for 15 years mm. and 15 years means the property aged, right? <laughs> so by the end of her career, she's at a 20 year property, not right next to campus, right? Like down a side street. It was one of the best performing properties in our portfolio for multiple years. Like she would continue to outperform. And when I look back on that, Matt Maxa also came up under her, by the way, as a community assistant. But when I look at it, it really was about the environment that the manager created there that gave it the reputation and gave the, the residents, the, they stayed, they stayed for three years. Like yeah. people don't do that, but so it doesn't really matter. Like, I think it's just finding the right people that are passionate about what they do and, you know, helping the customer. Fantastic. Yeah. And just one more question. Where's the wedding at? Are you, are you uh, Houston, Texas? Okay. Okay. So it wasn't, they're not going somewhere tropical for a destination wedding, huh? No. <laughs> well, fantastic. Well, I I know that's probably right around the same time as NMHC. So I'm assuming you'll probably be out of that conference getting ready for that. It's possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, thanks so much for taking the time out and giving this story and background and, and your perspective on things to our audience. I know we're a lot better for it. And Chris, I look forward to working with you more. All right. Thank you, Wes. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. Well, again, thanks so much to Chris for giving up her time. We've literally been trying to put this together since I think last June. 
her immediate response is yes would love to let's wait till after turn (laughs) i was like yeah absolutely and then it was i think we were trying to to meet up at nmhc no she was on vacation for nmhc so that couldn't get worked out and then holidays and end of year and all that kind of stuff so it was fantastic to be able to just sit down and have some time with her and i know that's Getting 40 minutes with Chris Richards is, that's a tough one. (laughs) So Chris, thank you very much for giving us that time. I think every one of our listeners is better for it. So I couldn't agree more just to kind of emphasize on that, because I think that these stories are really important to hear and to be put out into our industry. Everybody needs to be able to hear the stories of the people who are in these executive level positions. We all grow from it. So that's yeah, all. yeah. Well, and they've shaped so much of it, especially Absolutely. folks like Chris and Miles and Heather uh, Sizemore from RPM, Slob Brandon from Cardinal. These folks that have come up from the site level, the positions that they are in today. It's just, yeah. I, I'm, what I wanted to do was kind of you know memorialize their story and kind of their journey. And I think we're delivering on that. I think you're doing great. I love it. Well, good. Well, hey, just a couple of outgoing announcements for everybody. Again, Shop Talk. If you have not attended the Shop Talk, that is our monthly virtual meeting for the industry. And it is all things student housing operations. We go over everything that's happening from a pre-leasing standpoint across the country. And then we also have a a section from the National Multi-Housing Council where they give legislative updates on things that are impacting our industry. And then we also typically have some type of topic of the month. And for May, that is going to be focused on mental health awareness since May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And we're going to have some representatives and partners with the College Student Mental Wellness Advocacy Coalition. That's a huge title, isn't it? It is. (laughs) The College Student Mental Wellness Advocacy Coalition coalition. I think everybody that has been listening to this podcast or have been a part of Shop Talk know about the coalition. This was something that was set up last year, kind of in partnership with the Hi, How Are You project based in Austin, Texas, that ACC has been partners with for a long time. We've also kind of have a new partner that has come in to help with some things, and that's the Jed Foundation. And so appreciate their partnership. So all three of those organizations are going to be a part of, uh, of a panel that we're putting together. Regarding mental health, we're going to be talking about some things that obviously that the coalition has accomplished this past year. A lot of the things that we learned through the annual Thrive survey, also we're going to be talking about some things that are going to be coming up this year, both with the survey as well as some other initiatives. So I really, really want to get everybody out there for that and be in attendance for it. It is going to be May 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can go to our website and up at the top left-hand corner, there's a little calendar button. Just click on that and you can put the calendar invite in your calendar. That's right. Well, anything else that we should share? I think we have covered everything at this point. Yeah, I think those are all the announcements we've got. Just so everyone knows, we've got another profile episode that's coming up next month and that is actually going to be with casey peterson who is the chief operating officer with peak made so excited about that that's someone else who has come up from 
the site level to the C-suite. Started from the bottom, now he's here. Yeah, so <laughs> excited about that. Well, Greta, thanks for helping me out with this episode. Always. <laughs> we'll talk to everyone soon, and thank you so much. Bye. Bye.